Hey everybody, and welcome to Honest to Pod, where each week we pick something to ramble on about. Uh, current events. Personal growth. The Rugby Six Nations. And gay, queer, iconic history. Mm, 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 mm. Work it, work it, left, right, up, down, up. Um, I'm Ashley McAllister. <laughs> and I'm Matthew Ali. And this is episode 96. Six, 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 she set the example just right. It's widely known as the greatest national anthem of all time. Um, and it it's was. known. And there's this video of like all these people just reacting to it way back when, when it happened. Um, yeah. Because it's Super Bowl weekend, isn't it? So then they've got people doing it this weekend and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I don't know who's singing it this weekend. I know the weekend is doing the mid, mid show. The halftime show, yeah. I actually know it's Season a singer half, called Jasmine half, Sullivan. Halftime show. Um, who's this? She's not like mad, mad famous, but like she's got this incredible voice and she's doing it with this other guy. You, I don't know, but I follow Jasmine Sullivan and she's an amazing singer. How's your week been? Oh, the week's been here and it's been there. Uh, nothing really too exciting, no. Just usual. I've been have I've had back pain all week from my thing last year, last week. So I can't remember if I said it, but I had um. Oh, I've been to the osteopath. I had needles. What do you call them? Acupuncture. So I'm going back tomorrow for my second session. Yeah, per me. What about you? Tell me about your week. The week's been pretty good, I guess. Um, I've had some interviews for work, which is excellent, because obviously... It's Sweet. Yeah, so there seems to be, like, this little influx of work, which is good. So, fingers crossed something happens with it. I'd like to have some employment um, mm. going forward, you know. We obviously had a great week with the podcast. Astina Mandela was on last week, and that was our busiest week for the podcast as well, which is outstanding. Which is Thanks, amazing. everyone who listened. Um, and the Six Nations but, started. Yeah, and we have another exciting episode this week as well. Don't we? Oh, we do. It's a very good, do. very educational. So before we go into it in a little, little bit, just know you're going to be educated today, people. So, because I don't know if we mentioned it last week, we probably did because I forget everything, but this month is LGBTQ History Month in the UK. In America, mm-hmm. it's Black History Month, but here it is LGBTQ History Month. So we thought an excellent episode would be to have um, a podcast that I started listening to recently this year called The Logbooks. Um, and have one of their makers on the show, Adam Smith, is mm. coming on, just to talk us about how the podcast has gone and um, what happens in it within our sort of recent mm. memory and history. Um, but before that, yes, Matt, Six Nations started. Six Nations started, and we so we're recording this bit now just after Ireland lost to Wales. And England lost to Scotland. It is an outrageous, outrageous weekend. It's ridiculous. And Italy, Italy lost to France. Who would have thought? No one. No one would have thought. <laughs> um, um, yeah. I didn't watch the Italy-France game. I, as much as it sounds really bad, but I don't think Italy should be in the Six Nations. No. They think yeah, there should be, should be like a play-in to see who can do it. So with the next tier below, like Georgia yeah. should have the opportunity to come into the Six Nations, which is... A reasonable argument. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine it. It's fun being Italy, just coming and losing every single game. They want to be, and it's the highest level of like one of the highest levels of rugby. To be fair, so mm. yeah, but they do. They're getting worse. That's the problem, though. They, you know, they're more likely to get spanked now than they were in the past couple of years. Because I think like the England and Scotland game was, I thought that was pretty dead. To be fair, um, like it wasn't that exciting. England were piss poor, piss piss poor. Someone had said, like, oh, the referee was terrible and one of the worst performances, if not the worst performance in international rugby for a referee. And I was like, maybe because England was so bad. I never really focused on how the referee was performing, but I didn't think it was that noticeable to be that bad. I just, you watch for the tries, I watch for the tension. Um, right. When you, when, a, when it, for example, in the France Italy game, when it's one team's going to get annihilated, there's no tension. It's just predictable. With the game yesterday for uh, the England Scotland game, there's no tension. It was just boring. Like, the whole game was boring. I don't know about the ref. I don't know. I just thought neither team really showed up. But Scotland showed up a little bit more. Mm. Well, I started with the rugby club. I started doing the Guinness Six Nations Fantasy Rugby League. So that makes it more mm. interesting. That adds attention because you want your players to perform. You know, um, it adds an extra layer to it, which it will take a bit of work. But while I've got the time, like it's quite interesting. Yeah. 
Um, we said we weren't going to be like a RuPaul's Drag Race recap show, but how exciting was this uh, let's week? Just, let's just talk about the Iron Wheels game. I thought we did. No, we just mentioned that they played it and they lost. How was I Ireland? have to say, <laughs> Ireland played amazingly well for being a 14-man team from 10 minutes in. Um, I've just been on the Irish uh, fan club forum and people are tearing apart Billy Byrne for that last kick. Oh, um, oh my God. Yeah. So people are ripping apart Billy Byrne in the fan pages. In my opinion, um, it's like he made a mistake. And the mistake we should be focusing on is the more senior player who did the dirty illegal tackle in 10 minutes in, in my opinion, cost us the game. So it's just, it's, you went on there and it's just like insane how much abuse the guy's getting, like how much he messed up the last game. He did mess it up. But, you know, he's a young player sharpening his teeth. The big mess up was the illegal tackle. But it was, a, it was a tense game, tense game from start to finish. We did say we were not going to be a RuPaul podcast. But we have to talk about Jenny Lemon. She just walked out there. She Fan- bend de la creme herself, as they say. <laughs> she fancied a slice of that exit door and she just left. <laughs> I think there's a bit in it where like, she's just shook. Like, she's just afraid to like, lip sync. Because some people are. I think there's an element to it. And like mm. it's quite nerve-wracking and putting yourself out. But it's quite interesting that like um, she just left. I do think there's an element of disrespect. I know it's not meant to be that way. But you can see like RuPaul and Michelle being like, well, we don't care. <laughs> you know, just laughing as if like mm. nothing's happened. Well, I think after I watched it, I messaged you saying, fuck Ginny Lemon. I just thought, I thought it was in bad taste. I thought, you know, you're there for competition. It looked like, I know she said afterwards, or I've heard somewhere she said she didn't want to put, go up against her friend or whatever it was. But I'm like, bullshit. It's a competition. You go in there to win. It's in order to win. It's an elimination. If you don't want to compete, don't enter um because you've cost somebody else a spot in there but it's also quite interesting though because like you know we had estina on last week i've noticed on like twitter and stuff and people just talking about sister sister says it as well Ginny does that it seems to be like a particular year where and things are taking their toll like mentally mental health wise or maybe it's just more prevalent at the time um it seems like a lot of people are struggling Mm. while going through the show um and i'm sure they apply for the show long before they actually get onto it so it's difficult your mindset may have changed you know and Ginny doesn't, yeah, Ginny doesn't fit into it the was, idea about what RuPaul's Drag Race, Drag Queen should be, isn't it? So that's also like no. something that's quite different. But she got, she's got a lot of praise. Like she wasn't doing badly. She just had a bad week. Um, I, I, th- I thought she was brilliant. I just, I was sad to see what she did. I just thought it's in bad taste. Because I genuinely thought Sister Sister would have gone home. I think so. I, I think I, she. I don't think she's great. I cannot. And it's bad because obviously her skin is her skin. But that red raw skin every week with her dry shaven is killing me, boy. Her skin is on fire. It is red. It is bursting. It is lava. And I'm like, oh, my God, stop it. Stop it. Just have a beard or something, you know. But it's just, are they like, guys, you're not allowed to have shaving cream. Is that is that what they say on the show? Like, because it will cover their face or something? I have no idea. But it's just it's just red. Like, on a, oh. Matty, shall we jump in? Yes. So, yes, let's go in and let's chat to Adam Smith of the Logbooks podcast and find out all about our gay LGBTQ queer history. Hello, everyone. And just as we said before, we've got Adam Smith from the Logbooks podcast. Hello, Adam. Hi, everyone. Hi, Matt. Hi, Ash. Thank you for having me. Hey, Adam. No, thank you for coming. Thanks for coming um, on, yeah. We've had a few like <laughs> episodes coming up and this is one of the ones I've been most excited about. I think I've said it in a few episodes and even my friend, I'm like, what's coming up this week? Um, yeah. Which, it's really interesting. So we've got LGBTQ History Month in February in the UK. In America, it's Black History Month, to be fair. So I've started listening to this podcast just before Christmas and like sort of bits and bobs. We've been fortunate to have you come on and just talk and hopefully teach us. I, I say this at the beginning of every episode, most episodes. Ash and I are quite stupid. And we do forget a lot of stuff. <laughs> so we're going to heavily misquote many things and probably sound like absolute idiots. But feel free to correct us or just say, or just call us out and say, you're dumb. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, you are not dumb. A lot of our listeners do like to point out how little we know about everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, we'll start a story on Black. Like, and do you remember? Oh, and then I don't actually know what happened in detail. But in a nutshell, in a nutshell this was bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So, Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and then a little bit about the Logbooks podcast? 
Okay, so my name is Adam. My pronouns are he, him. I am a, a writer and a podcaster. I make a podcast called The Logbooks uh, with two other producers. Uh, one is called Tash Walker and the other is called Shivani Dave. And we make this podcast, which is really, uh, uh, well, the tagline is uh, stories from Britain's untold, sorry, untold stories from Britain's LGBTQ plus history and conversations about being queer today. And so it is really, we've made two seasons so far, um, and it's really based on the archives at Switchboard, the helpline, which has been running since 1974, uh, taking calls from anyone talking about their gender identity and sexuality. And they've got this amazing archive of these handwritten notes, which volunteers made since 1974 um, and it really chronicles like lgbtq plus life in britain since then so we made a podcast using that that's amazing so does tash currently volunteer for switchboard is that how it started yeah that's how it started because tash was well is a volunteer and a couple of years ago was rummaging around in the attic at switchboard and found uh, boxes and boxes of these old notebooks really really tatty old a4 notebooks with uh, pages uh, stapled in, yellow sellotaped in, uh, like a hundred different people's handwriting, some of which was actually legible. And she was reading through these and noticing that they were just filled with stories of the people that had phoned Switchboard for help and the stories of the volunteers who were taking those phone calls. And they were, the volunteers were talking amongst themselves in the pages of the logbooks about how they could best support people on the phones, like what information they should give about how they handled certain kind of calls, like, oh, is there a gay bar in Leicester? Um, mm. Or help, my partner's just died of this mysterious illness, what the hell's going on? And um, so Tash kind of spent some time looking through them, these old, reading these old books, basically, and then noticed their value, got them put into Bishopsgate Institute so that they could be preserved, and then did a talk about it. And then I was at one of those talks. And I just went up to her afterwards and was like, can we make a podcast? Hello, by the way, my name's Adam. <laughs> oh, so you didn't even know each other. I thought you might have been we, friends. No, we did not know each other. Um, we become friends through the project. Amazing. Well, I, I've, I would say that. I hope she says that too. <laughs> <laughs> she takes the piss out of you at the start when you're like, oh, the podcast. So I was like, oh, that's why I thought you must have been friends from way back when, because we would do exactly the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, she definitely takes the piss out of me. <laughs> We do that to each other, to be fair. It's amazing. It sounds like such a raw opportunity um, just to sort of look yeah. back and think, you know, these people were alive before our time and dealing with issues so differently. And to have that sort of golden nugget of that catalogue that happened to be mm. sitting in the attic, getting dust, mm. and, like these stories. Yeah. And I, it is like, I listened to like, the ones I listened to was like, it, it, they're so sad. <laughs> I sit yeah. and I listen, and I'm like, yeah. oh my God, this is, this is, this is horrific to think this is what life was like. Just yeah. before I was born, or do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. Um, so yeah. what a what a what a great opportunity, and what a. I mean, that was really the idea was to really use these um these these notes in the logbooks to tell all of these stories because they otherwise wouldn't see the light of day, and I think that you know it's important for us all to like remember where we've come from as a community, right? And yet, actually, there's so little that remains, you know, so little official documentation of. Um, LGBTQ plus lives because people, you know, didn't want that to be documented. People haven't written down their stories, a lot of them. And, um, you know, the state or other institutions have not historically collected that kind of information about our lives. And, uh, and where they did, people were reluctant to give it up anyway, because, uh, you know, there were, you know, so, so many, many threats on our lives and our identities in different ways. So, so uh, we're really, um, I think we I think we should be really like relieved that this you know as a community that this archive exists actually. So how does the process go because then do you technically just have to read through these papers and then see if someone or these people will come out and speak to you? Uh so um yeah it's it really is quite a long in-depth process. So we've made two seasons so far. The first one covered 74 to 82, and then the second one, which just finished being released, covered 83 to 91. So each of those two times, so those two batches, I have gone and spent uh, days and days in the Bishopsgate Institute reading through the the notebooks, um, the logbooks. And uh, basically, they're, like I said, they're just pages and pages of information and, you know, handwriting. And so I just read through them all, and then I take photos on my phone 
of the entries that I think are particularly interesting or for all sorts of different reasons. Or there are running stories behind the scenes, like debates among the volunteers mm. uh, from one shift to the next, uh, because the logbooks really were the volunteers' ways of communicating to each other through shifts. Because, you know, any shift would only have like a handful of volunteers on, but actually the network of volunteers was 100 or so. Um, And now it's 250, I think. So I take photos of all of these things. Then I like upload them into um, an online system that uh, I've built. Well, I mean, I haven't built it. It's like, (laughs) Um, I didn't do the coding. (laughs) And then... And then I like add tags to those entries, um, like just just keywords about what that entry covers. And then that starts to build up a picture in my mind of like, for example, in season one, okay, well, questions about nightlife are coming up again and again and again. And my tag on like pubs and clubs is a very common tag. So therefore we probably want to start clustering those entries together and that might become an episode about nightlife. Then we start doing research, trying to find people to speak to. So we haven't traced anybody who phoned Switchboard. That would not be the right thing to do because it's a confidential helpline um, and it always has been. So we don't want someone to receive a call from us 35 years since they called this anonymous helpline and said, oh, can you help me? Because my mum's just kicked me out because I'm gay. We don't want them to suddenly receive a call from us saying, hello, I'm making a podcast. Can you talk to us about this like awful traumatic thing that happened to you 35 years ago, which you've probably still been dealing with, you know? So instead we, um, we've just, but we've basically got contributors who are former Switchboard volunteers, the people who've taken those calls. And also um, just anybody and everybody who has stories that pertain to the time periods and the themes that we're covering. So we can put an anonymous logbook entry about someone calling for gay bar recommendations in Newcastle alongside an actual story of a person who at the same, at the same time was trying to find a gay bar to go to in a, in a non-London town, for example. So um, you were talking about season one, the club scene and the nightlife is something that come up. What kind of things can we find in season one? Uh, well, you can find just how important the Colhern pub was in Earl's Court, for example. It came up time and time again. I mean, Earl's Court was like pretty big, um, uh, in many ways, the centre of the uh, of the gay male community, like the out community in London. Um, and the Colhern was uh, so people often called up to say like, "Where is the Colhern?" or or actually, police are. Um, Police are hanging out outside the Colhern because they know what people do when they like leave the pub and go into the alley behind and um, all sorts of things like that. So, um, yeah, the Colhern being like one of the main pubs that came up in the in the 70s and the 80s quite a lot in the logbooks. Um, people people talking about that. It's uh, mad because and... no one will ever go to West London now, boy. Like there's no <laughs> gay people there. I, know. I don't know a single person I know. that is around it's West mad. London. <laughs> and of course, the, um, the one of the main um, bars for uh, lesbians was also in West London. It was the Gateways and it was off the King's Road um, in Chelsea. So, um, and it wasn't like posh, like how we think of Chelsea, you know, um, how I think of Chelsea now. And I know that Chelsea's quite mixed and Fulham is, is, is also quite mixed, although it, it, it is, they're both sort of like famous for being, you know, wealthy and all of that. Um, so yeah, I mean like, night. so I guess that's one conclusion to draw is how, nightlife shifts so much and we see it just Mm. in um you know I'm only what am I 36 and so like you know just in like six years of me going out and about in London you know you see how nightlife shifts so that's really interesting to see how that changes as well through the logbooks that's one of the things that comes up about nightlife is literally people asking where to go or people Mm. saying don't maybe stay off this pub for a while because there's been police action close to it or the police have been raiding it uh, which happened quite mm. frequently in the seventies and eighties and uh, into the nineties with police intimidation as well. Yeah, the episode also, I, 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 the first one was obviously episode one I listened to was um, just the the it was the crash pads or like the little oh, yeah. crash pad halfway homes. Yeah, yeah. Um, just it just we listened to it again. Obviously, it makes sense when people are like you know getting kicked out of their house because of it. But um, then when you have, there's a story in there about the. Uh, about the man who was pretty much putting an advert out for his ideal person yeah. to come instead. And I was just like, yeah, this is horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yes, so switchboard developed quite a significant accommodation service because that was another one of the common calls. 
was people ringing to say, oh, you know, is there somewhere where I can stay, basically? I've been kicked out of home or my, I've, I've had to move out of my home. I mean, housing is obviously still one of the most, like, difficult areas, like, full stop, in even in a rich country like Britain. Um, and so it's... it's um, it's quite a common theme that comes up. And yeah, so Switchboard developed this service of basically like kind of matchmaking people who had spare, spare rooms or spare couches temporarily or for a longer period with people that needed them. And yeah, you're right, Ash. There is a story from someone who basically called Switchboard to say, you know, I've got a spare place in my house. And basically what I want is someone who's 20 years younger than me, uh, not effeminate. And um, mm. this was, that was a man. And you can sort of read between the lines and think what that person was, you know, looking for and hoping to do. And I think that there was probably a power dynamic there. Um, were there any stories that you didn't, that were so interesting, but you just wasn't able to get a grasp on in season one? Like either the person or the source just wasn't available, but it somehow seemed to sit with mm. you um, and you really mm. want to be able to explore it, but didn't have the opportunity to do so in the, in the series. There's a theme that didn't come up at all in season one, which was surprising to me which was religion. Um, it was just not something that was stated on calls made switchboard. And it also didn't seem to be debated between switchboard volunteers very much based on what we know from what they wrote in the logbooks, in, the, in their like private conversations between volunteers. Um, and actually a friend of mine who's a priest after listening to season one said to me like, oh, you know, why was there no religion? mentioned you know in this period you know you've got an episode on nightlife an episode on sex an episode on health an episode on housing uh and yet and there was nothing about religion um and i said well you know it's because we're led by the logbooks and that just didn't come up and that was kind of interesting uh, to me but it did come up more and more in season two so we don't have an episode on it but it comes up in several episodes because we've got people talking about um from different religious backgrounds uh and we've got logbook entries that mention callers that have different religious backgrounds so I don't know the the sort of intersection and interplay between like religion and being LGBTQ plus is um is interesting to me so it was kind of surprising that that didn't come up but then there was in season one but then there were so many other themes that did that I didn't feel like really shortchanged or anything you know and in any way it was just a question of like well this project has got to be led by what's in the archive because that's our unique selling point really so uh, we didn't want to put anything else into it that wasn't there i was gonna say was there anything and it could just be my ignorance really but was there any anything from like northern ireland and anything to do with the troubles that um no one's allowed to speak of northern ireland on this northern podcast. ireland never gets insight <laughs> into this podcast it's, like, it's not a part of this country <laughs> i don't recall seeing that obviously not obviously <laughs> um no. yeah i don't recall seeing that i mean switchboard is and was always a national service mm. but there have been very localized switchboards set up over the years and most of them have gone now um and most of them sort of became absorbed into the national uh helpline which is based in london um and i don't know if there was ever one that was based in northern ireland no. um, i was gonna say in just... season three I want this like low key sort of thing where it'd be like, and this is Northern Ireland for Ash McAllister, for and Ash. then no one will know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it has to get um, mentioned in some podcast, Matt. It's never mentioned in ours. I know, I know. <laughs> and then, so most recently, you had season two. What was so? You've recently won an award, um, quite a yeah. prestigious award. What was that? That was best new podcast brackets gold <laughs> at the British Podcast Awards, oh, well which way. happens every year. Thank you. And uh, it's, yeah, it's like um, one of the main like podcast awards for Britain. But yeah, it was great to win that award, actually. Um, but yeah, it's just great to, to, to know that other people listen to it and, and it's meant something to them. I mean, mm. if anything, it's a beautifully made podcast, I will say that. So um, Ash had said, like, it's quite emotional, it's quite sad. But I think that that comes as part of the production, like you're able to mm. evoke these emotions from people based on the way that you edit it, the, mm. the way that the stories are made. Um, mm. And I've listened primarily to season two and I felt mm. like, especially in the first three episodes, that had really come through. What kind yeah. of information did you find in season two? So that was what, 1983, did you say, or two, uh, pardon me? 83, yeah, to, to 91, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously the number one thing that came up was HIV AIDS. And that was the reason why when we were making season two that we stopped it at 
sorry, when we were making season one, that we stopped it in 1982 because we knew that HIV AIDS was going to be such a big theme. And we just thought, you know, we're just not going to cover it in season one. We're going to do that as a whole period in season two. So the interesting thing about the Switchboard logbooks is that they, as well as being an overall chronicle of like queer life in Britain from 74, specifically, they're also a chronicle of Britain's experience of the HIV epidemic when it um, when it started. And so some of the, there are really early calls to switchboard in like 83 from people just saying that this is a thing that's happening that's going around. There are uh, tiny little news clippings from Capital Gay newspaper that switchboard volunteers have cut out and stuck into the logbook saying, um, you know, there are 32 confirmed AIDS cases now, you know, these like really early numbers. And um, and so you can see that Switchboard volunteers were like very aware of what was going on as much as they could be. And were trying to basically figure out what this was just as much as anyone else was, because they knew that people were calling, um, asking questions about it as they had already been doing. And then reporting information to Switchboard as a sort of central repository as well of information when, you know, the doctors didn't know. Um, anything about it the government certainly didn't know anything and wasn't particularly interested for quite a while mm. uh, and you know it was really the patients in the community that was like really tracking this and, and following and trying to figure out what was going on and that's right there in the logbooks so you know for anyone who's been watching it's a sin on channel four or on the website there are sort of the real stories of those people actually in the pages of the logbooks and well in the podcast and there's a very very tiny scene of jill one of the characters from it's a sin in a phone room advising someone on an anonymous caller on the phone uh, about hiv and that scene is 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 based on switchboard and the actual mm. setup of the phone room the set um, is based on a photograph of switch of the switchboard phone room at the time. Um, you can put them side by side and you can see it. Because, I mean, I know that people, you know, switchboard volunteers and former switchboard volunteers consulted on the show to, and, you know, gave them access, gave the makers access mm. to to stuff about switchboards. So, uh, yeah. It did feel like It's a Sim gave it... It felt like it was, like, steeped in truth, you know. It wasn't sensationalised in mm. such a way, you know. It is a piece of entertainment mm. in a TV show, but actually the information mm. that was shared seemed to be real-life events. And I felt like hearing the stories in the first three episodes of season two which are dedicated mm. to the HIV AIDS um, mm. epidemic, basically hand in hand. Um, and there was an interesting story about someone called George um, that you mentioned in the, and he ran through those first three episodes. What can you tell us about George? Yeah, George is uh, an amazing uh, human being who is 72 now. And he lived in a, his flat in London with three Griffon dogs. Uh, he's raised about 50 of these little dogs um, over the years. And he believes that he was one of the first people to um, actually, con one of the first British people to contract HIV during a period when he was living in San Francisco in the late, uh, in the late 70s. And he came back in the early 80s um, to Britain. And he believes that he brought the virus back with him. So he's been HIV positive, or is it, sorry, living with HIV, like all that, all that time. And he's had uh, cancer four times as well. And he's still with us. And uh, he's just got his uh, first uh, coronavirus vaccine the other day. Uh, thank God. So Sounds uh, like he doesn't yeah, need it. I feel like he's great... invincible. <laughs> he's basically yeah. invincible. At this, at pretty, this stage, yeah. he's Optimus Prime. And um, yeah, so and, and he he tells this really um, wonderful story of meeting the person who became the love of his life and, uh, you know, sort of eyes meeting across the bar, that kind of story, um, because there was no apps. And how wonderful would that have been? Wonderful. Um, oh, my God, I'd be so nervous. Oh <laughs> Ash would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah they met in a bar and they you know um they became lovers and they became partners um but uh yeah they 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 both were hiv positive and unfortunately george's partner died after they had been together for eight years i'd seen so many people die but of course to see your grand passion die in agony and degradation as so many of us did in the bad days, was awful, awful, really. But 
and I still carry him with me, you know, with this cancer when I was going through the MRI scan, I visualized and pulled him around me like a kind of suit of armor, if that makes any sense. Those we lost and loved, we still, I still pull them up and bring them to me when I'm in crisis or, or scared. Those that we love and lose, we don't really lose them. They just are, there are guardian angels behind us. And when we need them, we can pull their energy and their love and their memories to us to stabilize us, to strengthen us, to give us equilibrium, to love us still, yeah, and remind us that we need to love ourselves. George tells this story and he tells this the 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 story really of his of how he has um fortified himself through his his own sort of like um mental health work if you like through through his raising of dogs through his making artwork through just thinking about um how he could get over that um that death that loss but also like get the most from it and the strength from it and the love from from his partner and bring that partner bring that partner's love around him you know when he's in crisis and so um and that's something that he's been doing for decades now and uh yeah it's it's just a remarkable story and he's just such a such a great warm loving colorful guy <laughs> it's a real mm. honor and when i uh, went round to interview him which i which i could do last summer in that window when we could actually go and see people um I was under strong instruction from George that if I were to come and interview him at his house, then I had to bring a box of French fancies for him. So uh, <laughs> I did that for sure. Are you talking about cakes or boys? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I never thought about making You're that like, joke oh, before. I don't know. <laughs> what shall I bring? Imagine if you just well, showed up. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, George is down with the jokes. Uh, when he emailed me the other day to say that he was going to get his vaccine, he um, he said, oh, I'm really excited. I've got an appointment finally with a little prick. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is, it is a really sweet story. Um, I actually can't remember in the episode, me and Ash were talking just before, because we haven't listened to the episodes in any chronological order. So okay. like, same yeah. as you, maybe not remembering. I, I can't necessarily call where the episodes were. So if we mentioned yeah. them, you may not be able to either. But there was a bit in one of the episodes where um, you and Tash even during recording just your segment, despite the fact that you did the interviews, still got quite emotional and, and gave us mm. the opportunity to just have a little break. And I don't yeah. know if you remember if that was George or Steve, actually. I think that was George. Yeah, that was just after hearing something from George. And it was something that we talked about when we were planning the episode because... Um, so, yeah, I, I, didn't, I don't think I said this earlier, but you're right, Matt, as, as you just said, um, another strand of in each episode is me and Tash talking to each other about the and the listener about the stories that we're, that we're covering. It's not the, the it's not like centered around us, but we we try to guide the listener really through the through the stories. And um, we were planning the episodes and we put into our documents, our episode plans, we put into the we put like breaks and sections where we say okay you know we've just had like three of these stories for example and then here's a little section where Adam and Tash have to reflect on that and, uh, and then and so we try to before we go into the studio to record those segments we try to have a bit of an idea about the kind of things that we might say and that we might reflect so that it cuts down our time in the studio because we feel like actually been in situations where we've sort of like had quite a lot of tension where we've been trying to decide like in the studio what to say and then we just <laughs> haven't made it and so it's better if we do it in advance um and so with that one we put in like Adam and Tash reflect on the story and then when we tried to think about it we were just like we don't know what to say because it was a very powerful story and the way that George talks about it is is just um just really like wonderful and so and difficult as well and moving and all all those things and we were just like well maybe that's what we should do that is the plan for that segment is for us just to sit there and be like wow okay let's just sit with this for a minute because if we're feeling that then the listener's probably feeling that too mm. so let's just you know give that space absolutely I mean I remember where I was kind of just as listening to it and I was outside and I was walking and it was like it's kind of strange to have like this in my ear and something that's 
you you think this story should be like out there much more and everyone should know about it but then everyone's going around in their normal lives but this like side story of this actual thing that happened to someone and how they feel no no i i was just saying like, i had a similar experience listening to a podcast years ago about this about these the, this parent who whose newborn baby was was very very desperately ill and um the story was about how they how they worked with the doctors to like save this baby and all of that and i don't really usually care about babies or kids <laughs> <laughs> it's not usually a story that gets yeah. me but he said the word peanut he was like and she just looked like a little peanut and i that i don't know it's something about that i was just walking down the street in old street and i was just in tears at this thought mm. of this little baby that looked like a peanut and um yeah so i think that's it's one of those um it's one of those amazing experiences of podcasts is that you're having this very very intimate moment in your own ears and in your own head with these people who are in your head hello <laughs> this mm. is a, and then um, and then the world is carrying on. And I think that that's actually something that It's a Sin has raised for um, for like British society. And I, I hopefully other countries are going to see that as well. I know it's going to be in America soon, in the USA. And um, is that actually, you know, we've all been going along our lives um, and certainly straight society has been going along its lives. And a lot of people have like forgotten that there was this huge health crisis in the 80s and that it affected of specific communities in very specific and tragic ways mm -hmm. and because we're fortunate enough now to live in an era of uh you know of drugs and treatment and prep and everything else in britain uh and prep on the you know on the nhs for free for everybody wonderful but like it's so recent and yet so much of society has forgotten about those things because we're all going about our daily lives so it's like you know the straight society, everyone's walking around, going on the buses, and then there's like a gay person walking along with their podcast on, um, with their headphones on, and they know these stories because we pass them down to each other, and we mm. pass them down through through things like podcasts and through things like It's a Sin, and then but It's a Sin is great because everyone's watching it, like five billion people have seen it in Britain, so um, except for me. More. <laughs> oh, you haven't seen it? I've watched one episode, and because I'm watching it with my other half, it, I don't get to see it that often, so. Ah, uh, you gotta you gotta space it out. Um, not to give too much more away, I guess. But then you mentioned Steve, and then we'll kind of, mm. I guess, leave that there because I don't want to give the, the episodes are legitimately incredible, and I remember being really really sad. But that, it's, I think it was Steve that made me cry because, and I'll probably play one of those clips when he talks mm -hmm. about intimacy because I felt like that was a, a direct parallel to now where we are not necessarily in all cases able to be as intimate with others at the moment. Yeah, Steve is uh, another contributor to the podcast who, well, as you said, Matt, like. Uh, um, talks about so we say that the podcast is you know it's untold stories from Britain's LGBTQ plus history and conversations about being queer today and actually one of the contributions that Steve makes to the podcast actually is to bring us right back into the present moment and you know we recorded um, the interview with him last summer uh, summer 2020 and uh, we are still in that moment it seems we are still in that present moment of uh, the fucking coronavirus and the fucking lockdowns and so so we're still in that present moment and Steve sort of uh, talks about the yeah the lack of um, the lack of intimacy that he's experiencing in this moment and I think and he's an elder uh, person living with HIV. What got to me about the word cuddled was that I don't know if it's physical intimacy. <laughs> I can accept the fact that I won't meet Mr. Wright for a third time. But Jesus, do I miss a cuddle? My name's Steve, and I was the volunteer in the logbook entries. Switchboard had it had me for eight years. They were very important years. Basically, those years at Switchboard set me up for life. And a member of our queer community, and just like George, and just like lots of other contributors to the podcast, and lots of other people um, uh, who are either 20 or 25 or 60 or 75. You know, there is so many people who are um, lonely and isolated, and actually many of them were that before the fucking lockdown and the virus. Mm. Um, and many of them are, you know, members of our 
LGBTQ plus community and um, many of them like Steve are our elders and you'd hear it you'll hear in the podcast like everything that Steve has done for the community um, and and now he's in that in that situation and there are so many others like him and so you know it's kind of isolating anyway when you're elderly can be when you're elderly and then to have this current mm. um imposition on us is just even worse so um so yeah we, as well as it being a history podcast it's very much like a today podcast and because you know history is alive and we have to take care of it and we have to take care of these elders i'll talk about sort of two other things then because it's an episode I listened to but section um I was going to say 8 but that's not complete. 28. <laughs> Section 28. Yeah. Section 28 um, yes. is an episode that comes up and a lot of people talk about that. So we do have some yeah. people that actually listen outside of the UK. And um, mm. Could you give us a little bit of explanation about Section 28? Yep. What's mad is, is I was born in 87 and these things, mm-hmm. I didn't realise this happened a year after I was born or just then. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. well, six months after I was born. Yeah. And then would have been through my entire schooling. Yeah. Yeah. Section 28 of the Local Government Act 1988 was a piece of legislation passed by the British government, which was um, led by the Conservative Party. And it was the first piece of anti-gay legislation enacted in Britain for decades and decades and decades, if not a century. And what it did was it stopped, uh, it banned uh, public bodies from spending money on anything that could be seen to be promoting homosexuality or the idea of so-called pretended family relationships. Mm. So what that meant in practice and what the real target of the law was that it stopped things like libraries and schools from stocking books that had gay characters in them or that had uh, gay lives in them or lesbian lives. And uh, so it meant that basically, um, yeah, that local authorities couldn't spend their money on that. And it was really a proxy war. It, the, the war was really between the central government run by the Tories and the local governments that were primarily run by Labour. And uh, so two opposing political parties. And really their war was over who had control over public spending. And because the Labour councils were spending it on things like uh, like books called Jenny Lives With Eric and Martin, uh, in the London Borough of Haringey in the library. I think there were two copies, certainly no more than two copies there. Um, the Labour government thought that that was a decent use of public money. And uh, also th- having things like gay youth groups was a decent use of public money um, because it gave space for, for people to go and meet others like them and to find out who they were and to see themselves represented. Uh, and uh, that, was a, that was a decent use of public money as far as the Labour local councils were concerned. And there was also Labour manifesto commitments that they were delivering on as well, you know, bearing in mind that councils are elected bodies and the central government run by the conservatives did not think that that was a good use of public spending and also i have to say some labor politicians as well certainly those in the house of lords the sort of really old crusty stuffy ones also didn't think that that was a good use of public money and so they started to talk about this idea of pretended family relationships and this idea of the promotion of homosexualism uh, which is something that i'm still involved in today the promotion of homosexualism and so they thought that that was not a good use of public money. So they enacted a piece of legislation to ban that. And so what that meant, Matt, you're right, is that people like us who went through our entire um, schooling in the public system, the state funded system, uh, would not have seen any material um, and or, or had any words from teachers, apart from the daring teachers, the ones who dared to defy the law, um, about anything to do with our um, sexual um, identities and uh, it's it's a real it's a real real travesty and this went until 2003 yeah yeah so it was an it was it was a law for 15 years my entire school career basically mm. it meant yeah. that teachers and this is what's covered in the in the logbooks we've interviewed quite a few teachers from the time including one who was training and basically gave up because she wrote to the uh, education department to say oh I'm a trainee teacher and I and I want to be able to mention the existence of um, uh, gays and lesbians which you know was this was before we used to use the the acronyms like LGBTQ and the education department said well on you know in no uncertain terms should you do that you should not mention 
the, the, um, the existence of gays and lesbians. And she was training to be a classics teacher. So she was like, well, how can I talk about, you know, these like uh, these these ro- these ancient Romans or these ancient Greeks um, who were up to all sorts of um, business with members of the same sex? How can I talk about that without mentioning that? So that was one of the reasons why she actually didn't end up pursuing a career in teaching, which is a real shame because she's like, um, she's called Sally and she's an amazing person. And, uh, you know, the teaching profession lost her. And then there are teachers who did train to be, who did qualify to be teachers and did work as teachers. People like Ruth and Catherine, who we've interviewed, who basically remember um, being on a, being, uh, having students come to them with, uh, clear problems, clear um, ident- clear questions about their identity as young, non-straight people, basically. You know, when you're kind of figuring out when you're a teenager who the hell you are and who the hell you fancy. And uh, these teachers just couldn't say anything, couldn't help them, couldn't support them. And because they were lesbians themselves, they were desperately afraid that if they did anything that's, that revealed that about themselves, that they would be called into the head teacher's office and fired. And it's something, interestingly, that the... The British government still, to this day, 2021, um, is still pretty touchy about, you know. Um, mandatory relationship and sex education came in in 2020, last year, for the first time. It means that every school has to talk about relationship and sex education. Um, that's, a, that's a statutory uh, requirement now, for the first time. And they have to include the existence of LGBTQ plus people in that. It, the schools are given quite a lot of freedom about how they do that and and mm. and how much they do that, but nevertheless they have to do that. And yet the government also, at the same time as that, um, or roughly the same time, actually defunded campaigns, uh, uh, well projects that were aimed at reducing homophobic, biphobic, and transphobic bullying in schools. Um, so the government defunded that. And fortunately, you know, in Britain we have like charities like Educate and Celebrate and Diversity Role Models, which put people with LGBTQ plus identities into schools to talk about this and to kind of show to the students like, well, look, here I am, I'm a gay person or I'm a bisexual person, whatever. Um, So fortunately we've got charities that somewhat take the slack there, but then Mm. they're not, it's not comprehensive because they're just charities. So they can't do everything and they don't have enough money to do everything and be everywhere and reach every single kid. So, uh, yeah, the British government and the British state uh, and, you know, certain parts of the British population, it seems, are still really, really touchy about what you can say to kids about who they are. I'm getting a sense that you might have a certain feeling towards our government and how it's currently led. I have a certain feeling. (laughs) Yeah, it's mad because it was only 2019 that there were people protesting outside of school in Birmingham, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because we talked about that on the pod as well at the time, didn't we? And it is, I I mean, I I think it is a step because whatever the curriculum has to be made in some way. Mm. I mean, I guess you could spend money on doing it. That's one of the things, though, is the problem is the resources Mm. aren't being put in that place as a priority. But I guess that gives space for the teachers who who might be, I want to say, against us or against what yeah. um, my community stands for has the opportunity yeah. to maybe put their own spin in it which isn't the best thing to impress on our children i guess oh uh, yeah no i think we've covered a lot there i think that anyone who's listened to this is definitely 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 go on and uh listen to the logbooks because oh great it is so <laughs> insightful um you just learn so much mm. and you're, you're <laughs> the dog is still going away. um <laughs> you learn so much and um yeah and i think it's just it was insightful for for me who's like going back and listen to what life was like before I was even born and just it sort of makes me makes me feel so blessed for yeah. everything I've had like you know I can't compare my life story to these ones who obviously had it yeah. a lot worse yeah. than me so thank you very much for yeah. that ama- amazing idea and making oh, it into like yeah it's so important well so thank good. you for yeah thank you for saying that and thanks for letting me talk about it here and thanks to everyone no, who's good. listening <laughs> so what can we look forward to in season three just as a little season th- the 90s you can look forward to baggy shirts the backstreet boys spice curtains, girls spice girls and also <laughs> the equalization of the age of consent laws Woo! i don't know what that is <laughs> there are some of those some important milestones like um the equalization of age of consent so that basically sex between uh men was brought down to 16 the same as the rest of the population so that's something that happened in the period that we're going to be covering which goes until 2003 
Um, also, the repeal of Section 28 is another milestone, which happened in 2003. Uh, the removal of the ban on um, being gay in the armed forces, uh, if you care about the armed forces, and if you think that that's a good thing for the um, state to be giving its money to. Hate it. Um, <laughs> Hate it. Um, and then also in 1999, um, the awful, terrible, homophobic bombing of the Admiral Duncan pub in Soho, which was... Um, very which was sort of like a big moment um in britain because it was um because it was a it was one of three coordinated attacks uh uh, by one individual that was um basically uh resisting um you know resisting multiculturalism um and lgbt equality and that kind of thing and the the reason why that's going to be really important in season three is because it was a big, 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 big turning point. Is that a loud noise outside my house? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, the reason why the Admiral Duncan bombing in 1999 was a, is going to be a big part of season three of the logbooks is because it was a big turning point in the relationship between the LGBTQ plus community and the police. Because it was the first time when something really, really bad happened to the LGBTQ plus community and the police actually turned to the community and said, right, we are here to help you. Uh, what do you need? What can we do? And concretely, they went to switchboard and said, right, you lot are the center of the queer community. You are at the front line of all of this. You've been receiving these calls from people who've been affected by this bombing. What what can we do? How do we work together? And that came after decades and decades of police intimidation and persecution of, of our people. So that's kind of going to be a really interesting turning point to, to see how that actually plays out in the calls that were um in the calls that were logged at switchboard that'd be really exciting i have Mm, a natural um bias against the police so (laughs) it'd be nice to have some hopefully positive action that sort of supports the communities that i feel like i'm a part of so um i'm gonna say your your podcast to me sounds like i don't know if you know this it's a like a dj but it's called flight facilities and what they've done is i think they start so actually similar it's it's flight facilities and it's called the mm. decades and it's this one hour mix and each one hour is a decade of music but they but they put like number ones mm. of the time and it starts it starts in the 70s mm-hmm. with actually news clip, news clippings and like oh cool like bits of news like BBC so it talks like the actual mm. news at the time where the broadcaster was talking about like yeah. Um, yeah. you know like Freddie Mercury or whatever it might be and it's put yeah. like, with the music at the time as well so that's really cool the is it sounds like that's what your podcast is. Yeah, I like that because I like the layers and the textures of of history. Azana, yeah, thank you very much for joining us, Adam. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna stick around and you're gonna record a little bit more of us for the segment that comes out on Monday. So um, yeah, listeners, make sure you come back on Monday and listen to it. Keeping us the theme of uh, LGBT History Month. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Ashley, and have a lovely week. Mm-hmm.